podcast was brought to you by mozo.com.au. Well, howdy, y'all. You've made it back once again to what I think is the most delicious finance podcast currently on the internet, the Finance Burrito. Love burritos. Uh, As always, I am Liv G, and joining me from the ranks of finance writers at comparison site Mozo is my fellow co-host Tom Watson. What up, Tom? Hey, Liv. How's it going? Good. Um, I feel like it's all trucking along in terms of things like reopening and us going places and potentially doing things with like people and yeah. stuff here in New South Wales. It's super weird. Um, what has this slightly greater week of freedoms brought you besides a bunch of rain, which is kind of a bit of a dampener, hey? Yeah, it's a total dampness. So I've literally done nothing this week that I haven't for the <laughs> right. last like three months. But uh, I did, I did go on a nice little uh, picnic on the weekend with a uh, yeah. with a good mate. So that was uh, that was nice to finally see another human who uh, isn't yeah. my girlfriend. So yeah, that was that was lovely. How about you? Are you have you been? Were you at the uh, the the midnight pub launch on uh, on uh, Monday? No. I feel like I might have some like uh, bubbling away social anxiety to a point where I'm like the concept of going to a busy pub. I'm like, Mm. that's the worst idea I've ever heard of. So I'm going to like, especially on the pub front, just like wait it out for a couple of weeks until everyone is sort of, you know, had their fill and then I'll mosey on in because it just seems... Oh, seems stressful, and I I've got you, beer man. at home. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> like, if you could, if you could give me a pub that's like maybe like ninety percent empty, that would be ideal. Yeah, and I'm trying like to think a little of all bit the places. of interaction, but from a distance, yeah. like I can see them in the far distance. An but... outdoor area where I can run to. I'm trying to think yeah. of like places I can go to visit friends, like friends in the Highlands, friends, family in Wollongong. And I'm just like, no, but it's all going to be packed with everyone. But um, that's right. anyway, since we're still on the clock and not at the pub yet. <laughs> We should um, probably get into some news, hey? Let's do it. Here are the hot topics in Moneyland. Alrighty, I'm going to start us off with a story about cars because we've just been loving the car chat lately. I feel like we've had a few few of them. And um, I don't know about you, Tom, but I haven't bought a car since I was 16. Have you bought a car as an adult? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, first one a couple of years ago, yeah. Nice. Yeah. I mean, my car was a Southern Highlands junk heap with no heating, which is a problem uh, there. It's quite cold. That I bought from a guy called Joel. Um, so I've never actually had an experience with like a car dealership or anything kind of official in that regard. And that's kind of what the focus of this story is. So um, despite my ignorance, I'm going to have a crack at explaining what's going on. I've done my reading. I feel like I'm prepared. I'm ready for the exam. Um, So I'm going to have a go. And basically, the news is that um, global car manufacturers are urging the Australian government not to provide sort of more legislation, so there is some, not to provide more legislation protecting car dealerships because the manufacturers reckon this whole model for selling cars actually limits consumer choice and inflates price. Hmm. And I was like, okay, cool. Hmm. And um, so they're being represented by this uh, body called the Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries, which kind of seems to be like 
a union for these manufacturers and it represents 99% of the um, the imports uh, coming into Australia. And, um, yeah, the FCAI are saying that the proposed protections will end up just benefiting like big corporate conglomerate dealership chains that um, apparently are now dominating the market instead of like the whole aim of it was like, oh, protect uh, these Australian fr- families who run small-scale dealerships. So they're like mm, the the corporate juggernauts outweigh like the families running just a one off car dealership. The dealers. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of it's like it's a bit of a back and forth debate. It's a bit complicated. Um, okay. But of course, uh, the manufacturers' interests are commercial. You know, duh. Um, and basically, their whole thing is that they want to sell their cars directly to consumers online, like oh. you know, a lot of other products. So they want that- to cut out the middleman. Basically, yeah, and there's some interesting reasoning as to like why they say this is good. Um, so, <laughs> so, in the Sydney Morning Herald article, we found this whole sort of like debate in um, the group of manufacturers say that online purchases are like what young drivers want now, and apparently it's because they're less interested in haggling like hmm. you do at a car dealership, which I kind of thought is an interesting point because like while I don't necessarily you know, feel a, a need to buy a car from a dealership if I was considering buying a car. I could buy it, you know, secondhand or wherever. Um, I would still probably haggle. Like I haggled with Joel in the Southern Highlands. That's just kind of, I don't know, what you do. So, you know, whether that's true or not, that's what they're saying. And then they said other factors that are influencing young drivers now sort of lean towards more like experience with a car model. Maybe you've had one before. I'm now a Subaru diehard just because that's that the car right? I've been. Yeah, well, my boyfriend, uh, we just we just use his car now because we don't need two cars in the city. And I know I'm just like, Subaru for life. It's <laughs> <laughs> just got a great boot. I can fit my, my bike in it. It's fantastic. Oh, man, we're not sponsored <laughs> by Subaru. <laughs> yeah, we're not, but I wish. Uh, <laughs> and then like they also care about apparently – different like specifications, like different modifications on cars, brand loyalty and social media. These were all the things that um, the uh, group referenced as being important to young drivers. And right. like, I'm not really seeing – some of those things don't seem great. I'm not convinced <laughs> by like, many of those things, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, price is still going to be a major factor, right? Mm. I'm just like, you still, no matter how much you think something is cool on social media, still like this costs $20,000 and that concerns me. Um, But yeah, overall, they reckon it'll actually give consumers like greater choice and access while somehow they think it can make it cheaper. I don't really understand. I guess because maybe if car dealerships are like make charging, you know, putting a, a much higher price tag on something, assuming people will haggle down. And if people don't do that, then maybe you walk away paying more. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the reasoning. But, yeah, they reckon it'll give people greater access, which I thought was an interesting point um, because this is especially for people who might live in remote areas where if you were to buy a car from a dealership, you'd be, like, going on a long-haul journey just to check it out. Whereas if you're buying it online, I'm assuming there's – um, all the specifications and things you need to know there, direct from the manufacturer, etc. So that's kind of interesting. Um, but in the end of the day, what does it all mean? Because it's you know it's, it seems very political. Very um, much so. It's like a battle of the manufacturers <laughs> versus the dealers. Two people oh. that I don't care about. 
No, no. Basically, well, if you're a car manufacturer or dealer, it could be good or bad, depending on which way the chips fall, if the government decides to do this or that with, you know, potential reforms that they're thinking about bringing in or not bringing in. But more importantly, if you're looking to buy a car, you know, the humans involved in this, the little guys, um, and the proposed reforms don't go through, so you're not seeing those extra protections to dealerships, then you could be looking at, like, a slightly altered car buying market hmm. a little ways down the road with more things heading online and maybe, you know, dealerships closing up shop. Who knows? Um, but, yeah, well, we'll just kind of have to wait and see if those the predictions around price and choice, you know, being better if this happens do actually turn into a reality because I'm sort of like, hmm, I don't know. So, yeah, that's cars. I'm confused. How are you feeling, Tom? Yeah, I think that's that's quite an interesting story. It's, yeah, it's definitely one to watch and see how it plays out because I, mm. I can imagine buying a car online. That's yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, if I, I wouldn't buy a engine. new car though, so maybe yeah. that doesn't. Because yeah. I always buy secondhand and then I look at an engine and I pretend to know, like, if it's good or bad. I'm yeah, like, yes. I have no mm. clue. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then I bring that friend who actually knows something a little bit about cars and then get them to look at it. But, yeah. I love it. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. That's right. All right. Shall we uh, Shall we move on from cars then to uh, yes. something even more exciting, which is international <gasps> travel? Whoa, something you haven't talked about in a while. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, this story comes from our very own team at Mozo. We love a little bit of a self plug uh, every now and then. And as we said, it's it's about something that's uh, that's probably on everyone's mind at the moment, um, whether they're still in lockdown or whether they're just kind of crawling out of it. Um, as we mm. said, that is traveling and traveling somewhere that's not Australia. So there's uh, there's been an international travel ban in Australia on and off since like March 2020. Mm. So what's that? Like almost 20 months ago. So yeah, Yikes. obviously it's a long time. It's a long Could time. Could have had two babies in that time. That is one metric. That- <laughs> Very quick. Wow. Irish twins. Where did that Sorry. come from? Jeez, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, so, uh, on top of that, we obviously also had, um, you know, lots of interstate border closures during that time. So, mm. basically, the, the concept of travel, especially overseas, probably feels pretty uh, pretty wild to most people. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that you've been, um, you've traveled domestically during that yeah, time period. Yeah, we went period. to Tassie yeah, in a very brief right. period we were allowed to. But I haven't left the state, so yeah. I'm fiending for a trip away. Anyway, <laughs> um, apparently the borders might be open uh, on the you know in the very near horizon, though at least for uh, for vaccinated folks. So um, the the good people at the Department of Home Affairs are saying that it could be as soon as November. But I, again, we'll have to wait and see what actually happens with that. So what is the news? The news is that uh, Mozo conducted a survey of uh, a little more, a few more than uh, 1,500 Australians last month to, to basically see who's willing to travel as international borders reopen and you know what they plan to spend overseas and how they yes. plan to ensure their trip because that's what's going to be a big thing on people's minds is the insurance side. So 55% of people said that they were ready to go on an international adventure. And people have yeah, – they've obviously been squirreling some cash away because the average overseas holiday spend in the uh, the next 12 months is expected to be $5,861, which – you know, it, that's a fair amount, right? Like, yeah, depending on where you go in the world, you can it. like 
You could stretch that out for months if you need to, but like maybe not could, other places. It's probably not going to get you a like, uh, six-month joint around Europe, but you know, no, it might, it might get your tickets over there <laughs> like a couple Elsewhere. of nights, hotel yeah. stay or something. So. I guess plane tickets factor into it, hey? Yeah, exactly. Spend, That's true. Um, maybe not. But <laughs> as we said, um, of course, you know, old COVID, um, it's not – just going to magically disappear as soon as you uh, leave Australian airspace. Um, mm. It's going to be on everyone's minds, especially overseas and uh, various places overseas where, you know, it's a little bit more rampant than uh, in Australia. Indeed. Um, so in saying that, um, it's probably not a surprise to learn that 69% of people are looking for travel insurance with specific COVID inclusions, um, although 59% also said that they'd take out insurance whether or not there was uh, COVID inclusions or exclusions, which is also kind of interesting. Um, So we had a look at uh, a handful of travel insurance policies as part of this research and um, kind of found that these policies kind of really vary on what Mm. um, they're going to include in terms of COVID cover. So some will include provisions for medical and quarantine and cancellation costs if you actually catch COVID. But then that cover might not extend to things like border closures and additional government travel bans if they happen while you're overseas. So it's a real mixed bag, definitely. Travel insurance is like that anyway. They're allowed to sort of say, or oh, we will or we won't. That's that's the whole deal. So I imagine exactly. it would be. It's like, how can we make money on you? This is not going to make us <laughs> money. So we're not going to include this provision in your insurance. Mm, so, pretty yeah. wild. Um, so you're probably wondering where you're going to be able to go Um when things yes. do open up. So from December 1, um, at least according to Qantas, they've planned to resume flights to COVID safe and definitely in inverted commas here, mm-hmm. um, yeah. destinations. So these include the UK, the US, Japan, Singapore, Canada, and Fiji, who wouldn't love an island holiday at the moment. And then mm-hmm. uh, New Zealand and Hong Kong later on. And, you know, interstate travel is also a possibility um, for people yeah. in states that are currently locked down as well uh, with Qantas planning flights from uh, from November, although uh, we're not sure if that extends to Perth. Probably not until 2022, so we'll, uh, yeah. we'll wait and see there. They're keeping it closed up. Yeah, exactly. What does this uh, all mean for you? Well, if you are able and planning to travel overseas in the next year um, or so, um, travel insurance is you know, probably something you want to be considering with that just because of, you know, the possibilities of, of COVID. Um, and hopefully in that respect, we, we get some more clarity from travel insurance providers as we go forward because it would, you know, it'd be nice to have some consistency and some real clarity when it comes to the policies that they're offering. So, yeah, some interesting stats. I used my travel, like I always take travel insurance out when I go overseas. And I actually used it for the first time a couple of years ago. And I was like, shock, horror, it's it's worked. Like, wow. you know, to the degree that, you know, all of the things that they said they would pay for were sort of done. And I was like, oh, it's a system. And sometimes you win. I am paying for something. Yeah, it was a nice feeling. But um, moving away from uh, travel and fun stuff, I will bring us to something that's a little bit dodgy, I reckon. Um, A little bit interesting. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, so it's um, something about banks discriminating against people who work in certain industries, namely sex work, adult industries, and gun businesses. Mm. And this, like, isn't necessarily a new concept. I think there have been pieces that have come up for years about – 
you know, various um, individuals and, and businesses' experiences with this. Um, but this ABC story sort of like I think caught our collective interests just reflecting some current experiences, um, especially during COVID and all that. So um, it centred on a couple who are running a, a sex shop, an adult shop, um, who were denied financing specifically by ANZ. And the broker said um, they were trying to they were trying to organise a, a business loan for the company and the broker straight up said um, that they were going to be denied pretty much because of the industry that they were in, which is pretty lame considering, you know, it's a total legal business. It's yeah, it's real. Really? They pay tax and do all the, the stuff you're meant to. Um, but then what sort of bothered me even more was that beyond that, the couple have since been denied car loans and personal loans uh, while they've owned and operating operated this business. And like, it doesn't – the article itself doesn't go into sort of their personal financial situation or how well the business is going, which could all have bearing on whether or not sure. they're being accepted, yeah. yeah, for loans and stuff. But it all does seem it's just like a little bit fishy um, as it's sort of really in line with what a lot of sex workers and others in the industry have experienced. So, it doesn't look great. And this article is really, really comprehensive. It's really great. Hopefully, we'll point it out on um, social media for everyone listening. Um uh, so it goes really into depth into a few areas, and that's about what um, banks are upfront in saying about these kind of um, who they will and won't finance based on industry. And um, some say it straight up. So NAB says it doesn't provide services um, to particular industries. And a spokesperson uh, for NAB confirmed with the ABC, so many acronyms, um, that the bank did not provide services to brothels at all but did say that it provides services to some sex workers. So right. I don't, there's a bit of there's a bit of here and there. I don't really understand that. What is that. the distinction um, between a legal brothel and someone who's legally practicing sex work? I guess a brothel is like a, a it's like managed by maybe independent sex workers. They're like that's cool. Brothel's not cool. Anyway, mm. weird stuff. But uh, yeah, people in this industry say they often get rejections sort of like seemingly without cause for loans and even something as simple as a bank account, which, what? you know, yeah, it kind of seems mad because when you think about like a, a bank account or even a savings account, there isn't like the same risk involved for the financial institution compared to a loan product, right? No. You know, they're not like giving away money with the uh, intention that it'll be paid back, which seems, yeah, and like you need it to conduct your business. You need bank account. Otherwise, you're sort of pushed into this cash economy and there's tax implications and all other kinds of issues, which the article goes into, which is really interesting. But I think just, yeah, just overall, and it's the same conversation that's been happening for a lot of years, it is really interesting thinking about a bank making financial decisions that appear to be led by what they, they being the people who work at the mm -hmm. bank, the mm -hmm. like, you know, the, the recommendations that the bank is putting out, what they deem to be moral, although the bank's line is always that it's about risk calculations because what else are they going to say? That's sort of – that's all they yes, can say. exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's just really interesting. And another oh, – so many interesting points. Another interesting point is that it's not just banks. So um, this article pointed out that payment processes like Visa, MasterCard have, um, yeah, also denied services to the sex industry. 
And um, Afterpay, so by now Pay Later Service, also told the ABC that it uh, doesn't offer services in um, adult and firearms industries and doesn't really like doesn't plan to anytime soon at all, like in a, in a statement. So that was really interesting too. Um, yeah, so a lot kind of going on there that has been continued from years past. So um, what it means for people, yeah, who work in these industries and are struggling to be accepted for various banking products and payment services um, is that right down the bottom of the article, so it took me a while to get there, um, was some news about the um, banking code review, which is a thing um, that you can, which is a thing. Sounds Uh, fascinating. It does. I didn't read through it, but basically you can like submit, uh, submit issues and things you think are problematic in the industry and um, they will review it and then make recommendations and whatnot. And basically a lot of submissions about industry discrimination have been made to the review and it's due to report on all this stuff next month. So if you've, um, yeah, if you've experienced some of this kind of financial discrimination, um, keep an eye out for it because, you know, we'll, we'll see what's happening next. There's lots of keep an eye out for it's in this episode, but I think it is, yeah, it's interesting to um, just yeah to think about and uh, for anyone in the industry. But how fascinating! What a really interesting mm-hmm. subject and article. So yeah, go and check it out. Like you said, um, it was a good one. But yeah, and so relevant with the um, the recent stuff about OnlyFans as well, which was kind of yes. highly publicized and you know went into the the payment processing side um, and I guess. Um, Yes, problems uh, between between the payment processes and uh, and OnlyFans. So yes, anyway, mm-hmm. that's a that's a, a story from a couple of months ago, which you can check out if you want to. Um, moving on to the uh, to the to our final story today, and it's uh, it's Indeed. a little bit it's a little bit lighter. We you know we like to finish Fair things enough. on a on a lighter note, which is which is nice. So it's all about free stuff this final story well sort of free stuff we should say so sort of free <laughs> yeah sort of free so not really free but kind of free um live you like surely you've seen some of these stories that they, they, they kind of crop up every now and then about small towns in italy offering houses for like a dollar to kind of incentivize people to come and live there because they're dying off and they you know they they want people they want bodies mm, on the and it always seems to be yeah it seems to be in italy and i'm like maybe i don't know i love yeah. the movie chocolat wait that's in france anyway that is in france. similar oh my god that's a blast <laughs> from the past as well um <laughs> So, you've seen these. I'm sure a lot of people have Mm -hmm. seen these. But now we've got our own Australian version of that because there is some free land up for grabs. So, the town of Quilpie or Quilpie, Mm -hmm. forgive me, Quilpie locals. I think it's Quilpie. I looked up the pronunciation a while back. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So, this town of Quilpie, it's it's about a thousand k's west of Brisbane. So, um, we hope you guys like the sun and the heat. Um, yeah. They are offering grants of $12,500 to anyone who buys land and builds a new home on it. Um, but okay. kind of like the government's um, home builder schemes, there are a couple of conditions involved. So mm. the house needs to be valued at less than $750,000 and you need to actually live in it for at least six months in order to get the grant. So you're probably thinking or saying to yourself, you're screaming at your podcast. Um, That doesn't sound free. Well, uh, the, the the kind of little asterisk is that since land prices in the region 
are so low, like they've been selling for as little as twelve and a half thousand dollars, um, it could essentially mm. make the land purchase free, even if the building of the home, which you have to do to get the grant, isn't going to be free. Yeah. Um, you're committing something. You're committing something to this uh, yeah, building you a are. house. You can put your hand in, in your <laughs> pockets, but you know mm. the land. Yeah, it's, it could be free. It could be you know it could be cheap. Anyway, mm. so um, why are they giving out these grants? Well, um, Quilby is a you know it's a pretty remote spot, as we said, um, and like the Italian towns, they need or want uh, bodies on the ground because they have mm. a, a teensy little population of eight hundred people, and you know the town is in need of professionals like nurses and teachers, and you know it hopes to grow its tourism business. Um, but they simply don't have enough houses at the moment. So they need folk to, to come and build them, which is, mm. you know, where the grants come in. So, um, w- whether that's a, you know, stay and live as community members or, you know, to take it on as a longer term investment opportunity, um, which will, you know, one day be used uh, by future Corpians, which is a name that I love and hope <laughs> is actually, you know, what they're referred to as. Um, Fingers so- crossed. What does this all mean for you, though? Well, if you like opals and dinosaur bones Mm -hmm. and uh, a solid internet connection, which uh, Quilpie apparently has in abundance, um, and you are keen to get on the property ladder as soon as possible, you you know, you might want to consider the move um, after mm-hmm. some careful investigation of the other costs involved with building a house regionally. So, you know, it could be especially interesting if you've shifted to, you know, remote work or you've got a job, you know, that could be suited to Quilpy. So, yeah, something something to consider for all you people who want to escape the big cities and, mm. and go somewhere different. And what a name, and I mean, what a name of a town. So, go for it. I love Opals, but I do think that maybe I love the beach more and mm. being a thousand kilometers away from it might be a bit too much. And I guess friends and family also, <laughs> friends but, and family. Don't forget but you them. can move. You could like move your whole family up there and then you could kind oh, of yeah. like take over the town and create yeah. your own like quilty dynasty and, you know. We'll run. replace the council. We'll become the council. That's It'll it. be great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All the dinosaur <laughs> think- bones will be yours. <gasps> Amazing. It belongs in a museum. Um, <laughs> no. But I think no matter where uh, me and everyone I know ends up moving, um, I think we better just keep an ear out for more Finance Burrito episodes every week, uh, yeah. as well as all the fab content across our socials because, you know, the internet sounds great out there. It does sound great. I'm kind of jealous <laughs> about that. I, I, I want better internet. Um, anyway, we'll uh, we'll keep beaming into Quilpy and everywhere else. Um, so, as always, uh, to end the show, we'd also like to extend our thanks to the whole burrito team, including our producer, Claire, our social media manager, Rihanna, and, of course, our researcher, Ella. Yeah, thanks, guys, and thanks for everyone listening. See you, guys. Just remember, as Mozo writers, we're providing general financial product information. So we're not taking into account your specific financial situation, needs, or personal objectives. We are not recommending any specific product to you. The best advice we can give is for you to make your own financial decisions and seek out independent advice. This podcast was brought to you by mozo.com.au.